0: This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets.
1: Welcome to Save a Pooch on Pet Life Radio. Thanks for tuning in. I am your host, Beverly Isla. Today, we are going to talk about what the new normal will look like for the rescue dog and pet rescue arena, and what new challenges has surfaced. Our guest will share his insights as he literally has a 30,000-foot view on pet rescue. We have founder and chief pilot of the organization Pet Rescue Pilots, Julian Javor with us today. When we get back from these messages, Julian will join us. front paw sleeves and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Large or small, we fit them all. designerpetsweaters.com Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com Welcome back to Save a Pooch. We are talking with Julian Javor, founder and chief pilot of the organization Pet Rescue Pilots. Thank you for coming on today.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, Pet Rescue Pilots, tell us about that. I mean, you've got the skill to help in this industry, very specialized. So that's super awesome. So what's that organization about?
0: Yeah, Pet Rescue Pilots is, is really a dream come true for me. Um, I've been flying pets for just about three years now. And uh, what I realized is through flying these pets, talking to rescue groups in Southern California, Northern California, Oregon, Washington, Canada, all the places that I fly, I feel like, you know, I just really did get the quote unquote 30,000 view on foot view on rescue. And the reason I created Pet Rescue Pilots beyond just transporting Pets is because I really wanted to get into the education and advocacy. So, okay. pet rescue pilots to me really it represents a platform for social movement where we can provide you know uplifting information and provide specific you know instruction or suggestions on how people can really help the pet homelessness crisis that we face here in California and other places.
1: Okay, okay, so you're taking on the big social movement. That's awesome. We need we need more of that. Did you start, did you intend to become a pilot for pets or were you thinking humans first?
0: Well, you know, I grew up loving aviation so much and I actually, my two favorite things in the world were animals and aviation uh, Ah. when I was young. So the way they came together was really kind of fortuitous and serendipitous in a way. I just finally had the resources and the time to go get my pilot's license when I was 24 And I went all the way through my commercial pilot's license, and then there were really not a whole lot of ratings for me that were there to pursue anymore in terms of training because the next rating would have been airline pilot, and that didn't come for another thousand hours. So um, I started to, I was not the kind of guy who would enjoy taking the plane out and going for a flight for a burger, you know, 300 miles away. That didn't do it for me. I looked for ways that I could volunteer my flight services and do something meaningful. So I found out, you know, people do volunteer to move pets around. And um, I got into it and it just grew from there into something I never would have imagined.
1: I bet. You must be in demand. California?
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
1: How how often do you do
0: it? I usually fly between two and three times per month. Um, Mm -hmm. In light of the recent, you know, events with the pandemic, I've made the executive decision to to pause. Uh, I'm looking at restarting hopefully in the middle of June. But you know, it, um, I'm not sure where you reside, Beverly. But in LA County, we just had our shelter-in-place order uh, extended through the end of July. And uh, I, I'm not an expert on coronavirus. I'm not an expert on pandemics. I know that I've been considered essential, but uh, the reality so, yeah. is that I just don't. I don't feel right going, you know, abroad and potentially yeah. spreading anything. Um, sure. So I've decided to just. Lay low for a little while and continue to work on the education program, which unfortunately, I did have some dates that I was going to go talk to some schools here in the l a unified School District, but those were cancelled of course, when the schools shut down, they were set up for late April, so yeah, that's um, unfortunate. just preparing for next fall when hopefully schools are able to open up then
1: cool and what what other platforms do you have for education? Is it mainly in person
0: so i I actually have a dream about talking particularly to middle school and high school children. And you know how these schools have clubs, like, you know, the Model United Nations Club or the Mock Debate, Mock Trial kind of clubs. So I had a dream that I would basically use the aviation aspect and all these really compelling images and videos to kind of gain their attention and then have their attention to be able to speak to them about what it is going on in the pet rescue world and why yeah. we experience such a homelessness crisis in California. And then I would help to create a pet rescue pilots club at their school. I wanted to create a whole package where you know every school that wants to create one can do so and kind of help them sponsor events in the community to raise awareness for what's going on and such. So oh,
1: that that would be that would be awesome. That would be so it was useful. was
0: definitely a big dream and I, I, yeah. I really do hope that we can still make it happen next fall.
1: Oh for sure. Oh you can't let that one go because uh, like compassion towards animals do start with the younger ones. So that's Absolutely. Awesome that I think yeah.
0: you know the the cheapest form of contraception that we can do is to have the next generation of pet guardians be fully aware of how important it is to spend new to their pets.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of your of your plans, so in light of what's been happening, in your opinion, how are shifting priorities affecting pet rescue?
0: I think that it's been really hard for uh, rescue organizations to raise funds, and that's it's been tough to watch. You know, for sure, for me, when I decided to go through with finally creating my own nonprofit organization that was going to be geared towards not only the transportation of pets, but also, of course, the education and activism. I was so excited and thrilled and just elated to get going. And it's been a real struggle because, I mean, people are really struggling financially right now to even make ends meet for themselves. Yeah. So, you know, I feel like even those private foundations that are set up specifically to help pet-related causes have actually shifted their focus to funding COVID relief funds um, at the current mm-hmm. moment. So it, it's tough. But uh, I will say one thing, though, it's been amazing the way that people have stepped up to help our shelters that are currently understaffed and overloaded. If, you know, we've emptied a lot of shelters here in California just by people fostering more. And uh, that's a huge part of the solution, to be honest.
1: That's true. That's what I see happening too, is more in-home fosters than, than the cage shelter style. Uh, exactly, which, is which way better.
0: are huge, so important, so important.
1: Yeah, yeah. So. Well, Good for you. Hopefully, that'll that'll pick up for you. And I know you're involved with your local government, right?
0: I am. Yeah, here in town, and I I know quite a few people in the LA kind of bureaucratic structure as well.
1: From your seat, is there any legislation that's supporting the rescue industry, or or is it just all <laughs> on pause? Well, one
0: particular piece of legislation I'm not sure if it's turned into a, a full-on bill but it's something that a council member in Los Angeles has mentioned council member Paul Coretz, about mm-hmm. um, you know there's we have a couple of different issues happening in California which really directly and indirectly affect the pet rescue world you know um, in California housing has become rather unaffordable, so there is now a major push from the coming down from the state to all the municipalities requiring them to build affordable housing units for people. And right. every city is kind of getting a quota of how many they have to build. And cities have been overruled with regards to their zoning requirements. So around mass transit, for example, they are being allowed to carte blanche, build extra density so long as those higher density buildings have affordable units in them mm-hmm. and but part of the problem is that landlords are still allowed to prohibit pets in those um, affordable housing units which you know from from someone who actually does work in construction on a daily basis i can certainly understand a landlord's reluctance to say well this unit is already affordable i don't need a pet coming in and you know doing whatever damage they might do Uh, Because their, you know, owner goes to work or this or that or whatever. But at the same time, it puts a lot of pressure on the shelter groups when people have to return their dogs to the shelter because their new landlord won't allow pets. I recently had a situation where someone called me and said, I've got this pit bull that I'm fostering for somebody, but my landlord found out about it and said, I won't allow pit bulls, you know. So I quickly found another foster for that dog, but it's like any other dog would have been fine, but that pit bull, for example, was not. So there's a lot of stuff out there as far as, and there's happy mediums, but I think that creating a situation where people can live in their homes and still have their pets without having to either pay a massive deposit or extra rent each month is really important. Oh yeah. And then of course- We also know Governor Newsom is really, you know, he's really pro-pet advocacy. I think that his activism is kind of limited at the moment because his major focus is COVID-19. But honestly, um, he's said that he wants to do some amazing things with the shelters here in California and expand capacity, eliminate euthanasia, spay-neuter programs, all the above. So we're massively in favor of that, for sure.
1: Hopefully. Hopefully. Boy. Now, in my area, we also have a lot of rules, and in in condos especially, where we're not allowed a certain weight in our pets. But I've always wondered, like, here in Toronto, where I'm from, versus L.A., the differences in the number of stray dogs is, it doesn't exist here.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: And when you fly out to B.C., you, you fly out to B.C. from there, right?
0: B.C. and Alberta, yeah.
1: Oh, you do Alberta? Oh, that's my original hometown. Oh, yeah? And you yeah, but I don't, well, when I'm there, I don't see stray dogs either. So do you take them directly no. into adoption areas or fosters or rescue organizations? The people that
0: I work with, I mean, honestly, Canadian culture towards pets is just, they the really place. have it figured out. So I got to say, yeah. you know, there really is no euthanasia happening in the shelters out there. There are no stray dogs. The groups that I work with up in, in British Columbia and in Alberta, they're all fosters and it's amazing. When I land... Finally, clear customs. All the dogs are cleared. They start processing each one. They make sure there's a chip. They look for any immediate health concerns. They provide them with a leash, collar, and sweater, and then they walk them <laughs> yeah. out to their foster family that's waiting for them in the lobby. And I mean, it's Jeez. amazing. I go it's there. Organized. It sounds I'm organized. <laughs> oh, it's so organized. There's like 80 people in the lobby waiting to meet their foster dog. It's amazing. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs>
1: Well, I was going to say kudos to Canadians, but I'm not going to say that.
0: <laughs> We're <just gonna> have <laughs> well, a... kudos to Canadians. I'll say it for you.
1: <laughs> We're just going to have a quick break, and we will continue talking about how the world of pet rescue is and will be affected by the COVID pandemic. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact.
0: I've had blue fronted Amazon parrots, and cockatiels, and finches, and cats, and a little Lhasa Apso, a Maltese, she's like 22, a yellow lab Floyd, a black lab Murphy. Murphy's coat, it's very, very shiny, like it sparkles in the sun. And I'm also a part-time dog trainer, so I will always endorse Dynavite. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot oh. com. Why wait until your dog is shedding like a monster? Save your dog from the agony, the misery of being stinky and having hot spots and shedding and making sure that they have the proper nutrition. The omega-3 fatty acids.
1: Flaxseed, zinc, alfalfa, the digestive
0: enzymes that are cooked out of regular dog food. Get them started early. I mean, your dogs will love you for it. My dogs do puppy zoomies around the house. You won't believe how happy your dog will be. I get my Dinovite at
1: Dinovite.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio.
0: Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. .com.
1: Welcome back to Save a Pooch. We are talking with the founder and chief pilot of Pet Rescue Pilots. Julian Javor. So as as we were we were talking about the differences between U.S. and Canadians, the waterways, people can help support pet rescue during this pandemic and beyond. Yeah, I guess it will be different for both countries. But from your opinion, <laughs> what's your take on that?
0: Yeah, I think that you know the the success that we could have comes from a lot of different systemic failures that we're experiencing. You know. One of the biggest things that people are just not aware of is how important it is to spay and neuter their pets and how helpful it is. A female dog who goes unspayed can produce you know, up to 80,000, 90,000 offspring if you trace down their lineage. And a female cat can produce almost 400,000 kittens. As, it's crazy. So that's a big number of pets that will not be going into shelters if we simply spay and neuter them ahead of time. And I I really believe that it is our responsibility as pet guardians, because, of course, we are the ones that domesticated dogs and cats, ultimately. The the whole world would look very differently if we didn't do that, right? So it's our responsibility to make sure that they don't overpopulate and don't end up just living sad alone and awaiting their execution in shelters. Another big thing that people can do to help is, of course, fostering. I think if people knew how helpful it was to foster, if you foster a dog from a shelter, that makes room for another dog to go into the shelter. If you foster a dog from a rescue, that means that that rescue can pull a dog from a shelter and another there's room for another dog in the shelter. So the amount of lives you save is just multiplied when you foster.
1: Yeah, totally, so. totally agree. Um, now, when it comes to neutering, just a controversy, whenever I ask people why, you know, they chose not to have them neutered. And there are a lot of non-neutered dogs in my area, at least. The biggest thing is they say that it's health-related, like the the dog would be healthier if they weren't (laughs) neutered. Do you have any insight on that?
0: You know, I'm not a vet, and I don't have that much experience working directly with shelters as I'm more of a resource to rescues to help them get dogs up to a place where they have a better chance to have a second, you know, a second chance at a home. Yeah, but yeah. I know that it's it's definitely a controversial, it is a very controversial thing. And what I can say is that there's very, very much equal evidence to support the fact that there are no negative health impacts than there are, to say, the other. You know, I, I don't, yeah. it's one of those things where I think if you have an opinion that is your opinion, and unfortunately, that's not going to change until either legislation forces people to do it, or, you know, at least... If we can spay females, then there's nothing to be, you know, I don't, I can't really speak to that directly, but I just think it's very, very important for us to limit the population right Mm. now until, until all pets have a loving home to live in at least.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now with, with your specialty, how does flying rescue pets play a unique role in the, in this, in this pet rescue puzzle?
0: So our kind of tagline is that we can transport more pets a greater distance in less time. And the best way I can illustrate that for you is I've taken forty three pets up in the aircraft with me from Fresno to Portland, which would have been about a fifteen to sixteen hour van ride if the roads were passable during the winter through the Shasta pass and other other factors like that, finding somebody who would be willing to make a fifteen hour trip up just to drive back fifteen hours empty is very difficult for me that is a three and a half hour flight so Essentially, we we cut down the travel time by about 80%, depending yeah. on how far we're going. And that makes a huge difference for these dogs and, and cats, because even if they are going in an 18-wheeler at 200 at a time, there's no way that they stop to let every yeah. dog have a potty break. It's just impossible. It would be reckless and dangerous. So these dogs are basically just sitting there for 18 hours. You know, So for us, it's a three-and-a-half-hour trip. We make sure that the rescues know not to feed them immediately prior to make sure that they've gone to the bathroom before they get on the plane. They get put in the crate, put in the plane. Three and a half hours later, they're in the hands of loving arms.
1: My goodness. <laughs> Three and a half hours <laughs> versus 18. Yeah, I'd say that's a decreasing travel time, but wow. It's,
0: <laughs> definitely, yeah. Uh,
1: you said 46 at one, in one flight?
0: 43, 43. To be fair, there were a couple of litters of kittens that were with their moms, but yeah, I mean, as far as full-size dogs, I've taken as many as 30 before. Oh. So it's, I've, got, I've got it down to a science, the Tetris game. And my uh. main rescue partners that I work with frequently, they know, like, we've basically built up a stock of crates that stack very well. I have an unlimited supply of bungee cords. <laughs> so yeah. one day you'll have to see a picture of what the plane looks like.
1: Holy crap. <laughs> so these cages are pretty much outfitted for your plane.
0: Pretty much. Yep. Yeah. We've gone through trial and error and we've figured out what works best.
1: Wow. And they don't get sick?
0: I've had <laughs> I think three three pets get sick throughout the entirety of my time doing this. And I mean if a dog gets motion sick, then a dog gets motion sickness. Yeah, just,
1: exactly.
0: You know, you can't really help that, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. Wow, and I can so relate
0: to it too, because sitting in the back seat of a car I don't do very well myself.
1: Neither. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> <laughs> Can you share, uh, like, a memorable story from one of your rescue missions? I'm
0: sure that'll be interesting. Yeah, <laughs> I, have, I have so many. The one that hit me hardest emotionally was this dog named Valentin, who was going up to Compassion Without Borders up in Santa Rosa. But essentially, the dog had been shot down in Mexico and was shot in the face, actually. And oh. his whole jaw was kind of hanging She had open wounds and it was infected. You could just smell it. Uh, This dog was just not in good shape and needed to get up there ASAP. A six or seven hour drive versus an hour and 20 minutes in the plane made a huge difference in that case. So you had to go to Mexico. I went down to the border. Oh, okay. I, I didn't cross just because crossing makes it's a much bigger to do when you cross borders. I do it with Canada because it's a little bit easier I haven't ventured down into Mexico yet, Uh, but most people are okay with driving the dogs across and having me pick up in, you know, San Diego or San Ysipro County or something. But this dog, you know, having been shot in the face, the the one thing that I remember most is when I looked in his crate and he was all the way in the back, kind of like sad and curled up. And when I went in, he looked at me and he gave me these eyes of like, I don't understand. All I want to do is to love and be loved. Why did this happen? It just broke my heart. So, but amazingly, the, you know, Dr. Christie up with Compassion Without Borders in Santa Rosa did an amazing job. Balancing made a full recovery, and he's just like any other fun-loving little Jack Russell mix that you could ever imagine. He's so cute. And he just got adopted recently, too.
1: Oh, so this happened recently.
0: This was, I think the flight took place in the summer of 2019, or maybe it was 18. I'm not sure. But then, you know, he had a lot of surgeries to try to fix him up. Yeah. So, And she's wow. amazing up there.
1: So he couldn't even be taken to a vet in Mexico.
0: I think that the biggest concern was getting him to the hands of his rescue. And let me see if I can find her name here. I would love to shout her out.
1: The one that you took the him one, to? The,
0: the surgeon. Oh, yeah. Christy Camblor. She's incredible. And they do tons of Mexico dogs. But the important part is, you know, in Mexico, there's a huge stray dog population. Oh, yeah. I don't know yeah. if you're familiar with that. It's just out of control. So, for her, it was just most important to get the dog into her hands and to begin working. Uh, she's just incredible. So, wow. yeah, I love working with them. Thank
1: you, Christy. It's Christy, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, exactly.
1: Do you work with... Um, really... uh, I keep seeing their videos on on social media, and they're based in L.A., Hope for Paws?
0: Yes, I have seen that. I don't know that we've worked together at all, oh, Okay. but uh, let me see. I but do know yeah, Hope it's... for Paws.
1: It's amazing that, <laughs> that
0: wellness oh yeah, there's hope for pause rescue
1: mm-hmm. they do oh, a really cool. good job with with their rescuing, so Julian, before we wrap up, what's your goals for? well, next year, I guess, since this year's kind of pause for everyone
0: yeah, well, <laughs> my first goal and priority is to get back up into the air rescuing. Which, as I said, I'm hoping I'm able to do in the middle of June. You know, I'm hoping that, again, people take a look at this coronavirus situation and say, okay, we overestimated it. But very much like a pilot would think, you know, as pilots, we assess risk. And we have a saying, we would always rather be on the ground wishing we had made a choice to fly than make the choice to fly and wish we had stayed on the ground. (laughs) Oh, gosh. (laughs) um, You know what I mean? So that's kind of my attitude and I'm hoping that uh, soon they come out and say that, okay, you know, we've got things more under control with these safety precautions. You can feel confident that you're not going to be spreading, you know, so obviously getting back up in the air is a big priority for me getting back (laughs) to hopefully speaking to kids or trying to figure out a way to do it, you know, by video call or something. There's gotta be a way. I really would like to get in there and start talking to people. And my dream of having that high school club, is still very much there so hopefully we can get going on that
1: well if you have to you gotta do it online
0: that's right exactly (laughs) a lot of things can be done online now bro
1: yep Well, thank you for talking with me, Julian. We are out of time. If you want to check out Julian's work, you can go to PetRescuePilots.org. You can also check out their Facebook and Instagram. Thank you to our guest and our show producer, Mark Winter, for making the show possible. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for a show, please email me at Beverly at PetLifeRadio.com. So until next time, spread animal compassion. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand.